and Lord of Lords. Amen. The wonderful, wonderful Savior that we serve. He is an awesome, awesome, awesome God. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're grateful. Amen. He's done some good things in our lives. And the greatest thing of all is he died in our place and rose again. So we're able to worship him. Yes. Glory to God. So if you are our core kids, you are dismissed to your classes at this time. If you're not already there, are they, are they gone? I'm sorry. I was not here for that. Um, my core kid was missing uh, for a moment there. And I want to say thank you because uh, there was like a, an army of people that were searching all over the place. Um, so that was pretty amazing. But he really wasn't missing. Esperanza actually had him. And my wife knew, but I did not. So that was a very scary moment. If you ever lost a child, don't ever do it. Um, so all that being said, um, I, I, this morning, you can be seated for a moment. Um, this morning, we have a special, special guest with us. He was with us a couple of weeks ago. Um, he is a dear friend of mine. He is a mentor. He's like a father to me. Um, I love him with all my heart. And one of the things that I did forget to mention the last time he was here is that he is also the leader of Forge. It is a men's ministry in this greater Orlando area, um, and we are together every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., and so any of the men that are in here, if you are able to make that, I encourage you to come. I know it's early, but I promise you it is well worth it. It is a great time for us to get into the Word of God, to get to know our God better, to get to know the Bible better, and to get to know one another better. And so um, Dr. Pete Alwinson, I asked him if he would speak. And because he's a busy guy, he's got a lot going on, I sent him a couple of dates, and I was like, hey, man, which one of these can you make? And he was like, well, I can make these two. And I said, great, you're preaching both of them. <laughs> so next time, he's just going to give me one answer and be like, hey, I got this one here. But anyway, can you put your hands together for Dr. Pete Allen as he comes forward today? <laughs> All right. It is good to be back with you this morning. I tell you, we worshiped this morning, didn't we? It is all about him. It is all about him. And I, I love uh, how we worship together. It's a joy to worship with you. You know, some of you know I'm a, I have a Presbyterian background, and you've forgiven me of that already. But I tell you, I worship with you uh, in a way that Presbyterians still have to learn how to worship. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you. And, and, and Minister Eric, thank you for a song selection today. Perfectly uh, brought it around this text of Scripture that we're going to be dealing with in the book of James. Has this been a great series or what? It is so good to preach through the Word of God, a line upon line, precept upon precept, how important it is to preach the Word of God. Uh, the, sub, the title of this series is... Testify. What's the subline? Does everybody know the, the follow-up line? A faith that can't be tested can't be. Let's say that again. A faith that can't be. Can't be. I love that. Did you come up with that, brother? Uh, that was. I was. That was amazing. That was absolute. But this is so powerful. And the book of James uh, is, is such an important book that we study together as God's people. And uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that. You know, I've titled this series, Staying Cool in Hot Times. Not the series, but just the sermon. Staying Cool in Hot Times. Has it been hot or what? It has been so hot lately. I, you know, I've told people, I've said this several times, I think Florida is so hot because it's God's little example of hell. Uh, although it's a wonderful place to live, sometimes it is so hot 
It is so hot. How do you stay cool in hot times? How do you stay cool in a hot place? Well, as I was thinking about that whole idea, because that's really what James is talking about. How do you stay cool in a hot place? Uh, but as I was thinking about this whole thing, I was thinking about one of my favorite uh, movies that came out years ago. I looked it up, 1993. It was about the Jamaican bobsled team. Oh, yeah. What was the name of that movie? Cool Runnings. I love that. How do you stay cool? See, these guys were Jamaicans, and, and I don't know if there's a bobsled team anymore, but uh, there was at one point, so they were trying to stay warm in a cold place, you know. Cool. How do you run cool in a hot place? How do you stay cool when things are getting hotter and hotter and hotter around you? That's what James is talking about. He's not talking about bobsleds, and he's ta not talking about weather. He's talking about living in a broken world that's very difficult to be in, when people are taking advantage of you. When, when you're a follower of Christ, and they're, and they're trying to do stuff to you that is illegal, unethical, how do you stay cool in that kind of a hot place? And that's what he's talking about in this text, because you see, in the early church, most of the first people that came to Christ were poor people. Most of the people that came to Christ for the very first time because were those who had been abused by other people who weren't playing along with the religious scheme that the Pharisees and Sadducees set up. Jesus said it. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so they came. They came because they were heavy laden with their own sin. They came because they'd been abused by other people. They came because they were at the low end of the totem pole. And they came to Jesus and they found forgiveness and they found life and they found hope. And, and, and so they came to him, but there were so many other people who abused them. And, and James is writing, if there was a first pope of the early church, it would have been James, not Peter. He was the leader. He was half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was the one that led the first Jerusalem council of churches as they gathered together. He was the leader of the church. And so he's writing to these Christians scattered all over the place, Jews. And, and, and in this text, we come to James 5, verses 1 through 12. James is wrapping it up. He's not done yet, but he's getting toward, he's on the downward slide, and he is speaking in full prophetic mode. You ready? Let's look at what he has to say of us, because what he's teaching us is how to stay cool in hot places. But first of all, he deals with those who are dishing out the heat. And so in the first few verses, he's talking to the bad guys. And in the last few verses, he's talking to believers. So here it is, James 5. Verses 1 through 12. This is God's holy word. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like what? Fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. 
You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now he switches to believers. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren and sistren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your what? No be no, lest you fall into judgment. This is God's holy word. Wow, when you read a text like that, you say, James, what do you really think? I, mean, I wish you'd speak your mind. Well, he does speak his mind. He's not mincing words here. How many chefs do we have? You that like to cook. All right, you that like to cook, we mince, when we mince things, what are we doing? Cutting them up into small little pieces. Why do we mince food sometimes when we cut it up to make it more palatable, to make it more tasty, so that it goes down quicker? But there's another expression for mincing words. When you don't mince your words, what does that mean? Straightforward. You're, you're, you're telling it like it is. You're not being politically correct. And here, James is not trying to be politically correct. He's not mincing his word either to the unbelievers or to believers. Now, the interesting thing about this text of Scripture is it really can be split up into two major points. First of all, there's a prophecy uh, toward rich oppressors in verses 1 through 6. And then there's a perspective for those who are followers of Christ. So let's take a look. First of all, we got to hammer them. We got to hammer them like James did in verses 1 through 6. Let's look at this prophecy for rich oppressors. How does it start out? He starts out by saying, Come, you rich, weep and howl. I was telling the early church service that uh, one time I was going to get some, um, I was going to get some chlorine for our pool, and I went to the, the, the pool place. And as I came back and I put the chlorine in the back of my truck and I slammed the roll top back, I caught my little finger in the roll top. And there was nobody else in the parking lot. And so I was kind of saying, oh, this is cool. This No, I wasn't. I was howling. I was trying not to weep because I'm a man and we don't cry. But I was howling, and then this teenage girl pulls up. She gets out to go get some chlorine. I go, and I, I didn't cry because I didn't want her to see me cry, but I was howling. I said, get the guys inside. And they came out. They, they all came running out. It was so good. Like three or four guys come running out. I said, I can't get my hand out of there. And they came, and they pushed that thing out. I know what it's like to howl. Do you know what it's like to howl? Have you hurt so much that you howl? James is telling the rich oppressors to howl and weep ahead. He's giving them both barrels of the prophetic shotgun. What did prophets do? Prophets had two barrels in their shotgun. 
They told the truth to the people right then and there. And then they told the future. See, so that's what prophets did. They had a double-barrel shotgun. They told them what they needed to hear for now, and then they told the future. James is doing both right now in this text. He's telling them about the present, and he's telling them about the future. Now, a very important clarification needs to be made right now as we think about this prophetic call to rich oppressors. Do you notice? It's very important. Do you notice that he's not attacking the rich? Do you notice that? He's attacking rich oppressors. And this is very, very important for us to understand this text. Otherwise, it really won't apply to us today. Because really, by today's standards and by history's standards, we're all rich compared to what the people were in the first century. I mean, these guys that were uh, reaping the crops, they, they got paid every day because they didn't have any money in the bank. There were no banks. They couldn't get help. They had to get paid every day so they could eat tonight. And so we understand this text. It's very important to understand. He's not against wealth, per se. He's not against rich people. He's against those who, are, who became rich on the backs of the poor. Those who became rich by oppressing other people. That's what James is talking about. I can imagine, I can imagine him talking about uh, uh, rich businessmen today. You know, when I was a real young guy, I remember being about this high. It was a long time ago. I know I'm young. Uh, but I remember coming home from school, being let out early. It was 1963. And we were let out of school because the president of the United States had been assassinated. His name was JFK, John F. Kennedy. He was my first president that I remember growing up as a kid. And it was a, it was a deep, dark time to go through that. But you know how his, he was not poor. He was rich. You know how his daddy got rich? Bootlegging. Illegal booze. Imported from Canada and other parts of the world. He became rich by doing that which is illegal. I can imagine James saying, Mr. Kennedy, that is wrong. I can imagine James standing up today to a gangbanger who's got, who's got gold all over his hand, driving a big car, and, 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 and who, who has become wealthy by selling drugs to little people, to young people, getting them addicted. I can imagine James saying, that's wrong. I can imagine James railing uh, against those confidence men who go into the, into the, into the city and say, we're going to protect your business and you've got to pay for us. To protect. I can imagine him saying that's wrong because you're becoming rich on the backs of people who are poorer than you. I can imagine James standing up against those who, who are promoting abortion to make money. I can imagine him standing up against politicians today of both parties who make a lot of money by but saying, oh, I'm here for the little guy. I'm for the little guy. The last election, there was one politician who ran for office. He didn't win. And, and he didn't have a whole lot of money then. But you know how many homes he has now? He's got three. One is a, a, a wonderful lakeside home. I'd like to go spend time with him. <laughs> James would stand up against these guys. I, James would stand up against those, those smugglers on, uh, on North African's coast. Who are, who are charging exorbitant prices to get people from Africa who want to get to Europe. Taking their money, putting them in boats that are not seaworthy, and giving them just enough gas to maybe get halfway across. That's what's happening every, every week in our country. I can imagine James speaking against that. 
ladies and gentlemen, it's important for us to understand what James is going after is he's, he does not condemn wealth. He condemns those who are getting wealth illegally on the backs of the poor and the weak and taking advantage of other people. There's a special hot place in hell for those people, James says. And it's important for us. To, it, God does not, God's not opposed to private property for you making money. I was talking to Ivan in the first service, and he said, I'm a salesman. I said, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing pretty good. But I'm an honest salesman, so I don't do as good as some of the dishonest salesmen. And I said, good for you. Good for you that you're, that's what a Christian should be, you know? And, and so I really appreciate what he was talking about. Uh, the Bible uh, d- tells us not that wealth is bad. It's what we do with it. And most people, as I've said, are already wealthy by today's, in today's standards compared to back then. So what, is, what does James do with these unbelieving rich oppressors? He tells them their future, and he tells them what they're doing. He says, look at your future. It's going to be awful. It is going to be terrible. Uh, weep and howl. There's no escaping the justice of God. Brothers and sisters, as we study the Bible, we like to hear about the love of God. But what so many people don't want to hear about is the justice of God. And that means that because God is righteous and holy, he must judge sin. He will judge sin. And, and James looks at these men in full prophetic mode, and he says, you think you will escape the justice of God? That's not going to happen. That's, by the way, isn't that comforting for those of us who have felt the heavy hand of injustice to know that justice will come? It will come. There's no escaping your riches, he says, your house, your furniture, your cars, your boats, all that you have will be corrupted. Your garments will be moth-eaten, and your gold and silver will be corroded. Wow, that's intense. All of this, you're rich, but you got it illegally, wrongly, horribly. Um, And then he talks, and it says, it will turn on you, all of this stuff, your luxury will turn on you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. James, what do you really think? And then he talks about their deeds. What were they doing that was so wrong? Well, they were hoarding up treasure. They were hoarding up treasure that didn't share, didn't even pay the, the, the fair, the, the um, wages that their people deserved to get. They defrauded them. They cheated. The, the, their the blood of these people cries out to them. Theologians call these, these kinds of sins crying sins. God hears the voice of the weak and the oppressed. He says, you guys are living in luxury. I don't even, you know, we, I'm middle class, grew up middle class, you're middle class. We, 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 luxury. I don't know what luxury is. Warren Worsby tells of an oil-rich sultan who went on a shopping spree. This was a few years. You want to hear what he got? Okay, he got 19 Cadillacs, one for each of his wives. There's a logic to that. Uh, he paid extra to have the cars lengthened. Then he bought two Porsches, six Mercedes, $47,000 worth of women's luggage, two Florida grapefruit trees. I don't know how that figures in. $40,000 speedboat, a truck to haul it, two reclining chairs, one slot machine, total $1.5 million. And then he, he paid another $200,000 to have it all shipped to his house. 
That was about 20 years ago. Can you imagine what that would cost today? Ladies and gentlemen, that's luxury. None of us lives in that kind of luxury. Opulence. Outrageous opulence. And some people live that way because they've taken advantage of other people. Um, Quakers are known for their frugality. Frugality, I have to always look up because I forget what it means. Um, the Quaker said, tell me what thou dost need and I will tell thee how to get along without it. My wife has that ministry in my life. <laughs> it's great. It's a great ministry. I need it. I need it. Um, and, so he, and so James is very strong. He hammers them. He rails against them. Now, let me ask you this. Is there any hope for a rich oppressor? Yes, there is. If what? If these rich oppressors do what? If they repent. If they repent, confess, and turn away from this kind. There is no sin that God cannot forgive except the sin of unbelief. In the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he has done it all. We've been focusing upon this. Again, the words of the songs that we sang together, do you, do you notice how perfect they are for what we were teaching, to, for what James is teaching today? Jesus is the center. He's the center of it all. He's the cornerstone. It's not about us. It's about what Jesus has done. But in a sense, it is, isn't that great? It is about us in that what he's done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And so even these rich oppressors can be forgiven. By the way, is there any story in the Gospels of a rich oppressor who turned away from that lifestyle? There's one that stands out, and his name is, he was a wee little man, and he climbed... It's exactly right. You probably talked about that in vacation Bible school this past week. Zacchaeus was a wee, those, he's a wee little man. Don't ever call me a wee little man, you know. He was, he was a short guy who was a hardcore professor. He, he took advantage of people by charging them taxes. But, but, but there was a work of grace that happened in his life. And he had heard about Jesus. He didn't feel good about that life. He didn't feel good about what he was doing to others. And when Jesus was coming into his town, he climbed up into that tree because he wanted to at least see Jesus. Maybe there's forgiveness. Maybe there's a new life. Maybe there's freedom from the bondage that I was putting on. Maybe there's hope. And Jesus looked up and he said, hey, call home, get dinner going. I'm coming over. And, and, and what did Zacchaeus say? He said, I'm going to give, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give back. I'm going to make restitution. There's hope even for a rich oppressor. Oh, praise God. But, but James says there's no hope unless they turn. All right, now, we're done with that. Whew. Now let's talk about us. Because James lays this all out, and now he not only gives a prophetic word to the rich oppressors, now he gives a perspective to those who are believers, to those of us who live in this world and have to deal with rich oppressors. Are there rich oppressors around us today? Yeah, there are. There's people that take advantage of you uh, and me today. Uh, 
It happens in sales. It happens sometimes the government, you know, I feel like, good night, come on. Uh, I mean, and you can look around us and see uh, rich oppressors, and it drives me crazy when they get away with it. And so, and so James says, okay, go, go, go exact your own revenge, right? No, 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 no. I love what he does. He says, therefore, and whenever you see the word therefore in a text of scripture, you ask what it's, therefore. He says, therefore, in light of, the, uh, in light of all that God is going to do to those who are rich oppressors, he says, therefore, brethren, be patient until, until what? The Lord comes again. The coming of the Lord. And he's calling us to have a perspective. That ability to see life through Christian eyes, through biblical eyes. He's trying to give us a Christian worldview. He doesn't want us to have a pagan worldview because a pagan worldview says, that guy's hurting me, I'm going to do what? I'm going to get that sucker. I'm going to get him. That's revenge. But the Christian worldview says Jesus is coming. It's the perspective that says Jesus is coming again. And because he's coming again for his people, it makes all the difference when we face injustice, doesn't it? And, and you have, some of you have, have faced incredible injustice. He gives us three commands here. Uh, and this is so important to, to have faith in what God is doing because a faith that can't be tested can't be that's right. And so in the midst of this time, James is saying, have faith. And, and, and in your faith, he gives us three commands. Number one, he says, be patient. Be patient. Verses 7 and 8 and 10 and 11. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And then he gives example of a farmer. I, I've never been a farmer. I, the only thing that grows around my house is my grass. Okay, uh, and and then unfortunately it has to be mowed. And Bishop is moving uh, here in a bit, and uh, he said me not to say anything about this, but he loves to mow the lawn, and uh, <laughs> is looking forward to mowing the lawn. But when a farmer plants his crops, what what in the, what in the world does he have to do? He has to wait until it. Great, he's got to wait for the rain, the early rains, the later rains. If you've ever been to Israel or been in the desert, you know. It's crazy hot out there. You got to wait for the rains so that stuff grows. And then out in the desert, when it rains, stuff grows immediately, doesn't it? It's powerful. The farmer's got to wait. Good, good things come to those who wait. I can imagine saying to the business person, you're trying to make deals, you're trying to make sales, you're, 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 you're helping other people. You got to wait. You got to wait. Your kids. Your kids perfect today? I've seen a lot of little kids here today. They're not perfect yet. They're sweet. They're wonderful. They're crazy. They're chaotic. I got four grandchildren. They're better than yours. Um, but they need Jesus big time. They're not better. We, we got to stay involved. We got we to gotta plant. We got to water, right? They get better. Got to wait because you can't tell until they get older. And so the reality is, is waiting is so important. It's a big part of the Christian life is waiting waiting for Christ, waiting for Jesus to work. Uh, and, and then he tells us, hey, the farmers had to wait, but the prophets had to wait too. The prophets had to go to work every day speaking to the people of Israel, telling them to repent. And, and you know, Jeremiah, what's Jeremiah's nickname? Anybody know? The weeping prophet. Why? Because he would preach and preach and preach, and his people would say, speak to the hand. They wouldn't listen. 
and it would, it would break his heart because they, he would say, don't jump off that cliff, and they'd jump off that cliff. He'd say, obey God, and they wouldn't obey God. If you do this, God will judge us, and they would do that, and God would judge them. And so the, the, there's a lot of waiting. Suffering and patience are a big part of the Christian life. They really are. In Philippians chapter 2, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, I love that, but to suffer for his sake. And we don't like that part of the gospel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But patience and suffering is a part of it. And, and it means sometimes waiting for Jesus to act and not to take revenge ourselves. Because whenever I try to take revenge, it doesn't work. And the father says, son, would you just stop it? You don't know how to do revenge properly. I do. I can do it better than you. Uh, it, I appreciate Bishop. And by the way, you know, Bishop is on our leadership team of Forge. We have two sites, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. We're going to start another one downtown. And we have a thing called Forge Communicators where we're training communicators in greater Orlando. And Bishop's on our leadership team. And um, we have the symbol, I wrote, I wore this shirt today because this is the hammer and the anvil. This is the symbol of our ministry, Forge. But I, 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 after we selected it, I, did, I was reading the book Heal Us, O Emmanuel, which is about the, uh, uh, the church in uh, South Carolina where several people were shot in a Bible study. You maybe remember that horrible story. Well, in that book, it talks about the motto of the African Methodist Church. And the, early on, right after the days of slavery, strong as a blacksmith's anvil. I had no idea that, that those who had been slaves chose as their motto, strong, the Christians, strong as a blacksmith's anvil. Why? Well, this is what they said. The anvil was where and how God worked to shape them and their faith like metal under a hammer wielded in the loving, sovereign hands of God. Sometimes when we deal with injustice and have to wait for God to work, God has to work on us before he works on the others. And he, by his sovereign, loving hand, is hammering character into the lives of us, his children, for whom Jesus died. And that's hard. When, but look at those, our forefathers, who went through incredible times of suffering and yet saw that as an opportunity to see God shape their lives. And so the challenge that I have here, I've, I've got three challenges for all of us. One challenge here at, 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 as we see this, be patient. By the way, patience is one of my primary virtues I, I okay okay you lie about other things uh, are you impatient at the injustice that you've received at the hands of a, a loved one somebody in business somebody in your neighborhood they took advantage of you. Are you impatient in that? It's very possible that even though we are not like those poor land, those poor reapers back in James' day, we have had injustice against us. What are we doing with that? 
Can we take that to the Lord Jesus Christ? Can we give it to him? Can we say, make me as strong as a blacksmith's anvil through this? Would you take the revenge? I'm going to wait for you because when you come back, if they don't repent, uh, their future is horrible. The future is horrible. And so he will help us as we restore, as we give these things to the Lord, rather than let them build up in us a root of bitterness. Uh, be patient, James says. Then secondly, what he says is, do not grumble. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brother, unless you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Do not grumble against one another. You see, if we're trying to get a, a revenge at other people, um, what happens is we become angry people. And then we can turn it on one another in the body of Christ. You ever met somebody and say, they're just angry. They're just an angry person. I don't know. I, didn't, I don't think I did anything. No, they're just angry people. They're angry at other people and circumstances, and they bring that anger toward you. And so that's why James says, don't grumble against one another. So the challenge there is, is there anything we need to fix, any relationships we need to fix in the body? You know, while we wait for Jesus to set things up, let's take care of home because we need to let the gospel flesh itself out here. And then the third uh, thing is honor God, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, don't swear either by heaven or earth or under the earth, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. I think this is basically saying be a person of integrity and wholeness and, 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 and listen in them. Even though you've been abused, taken advantage of, and oppressed, don't be like them. Uh, don't justify lying because you've been lied to. Don't justify stealing because somebody stole from you. Uh, don't justify that stuff. Honor God, have integrity, and, and, and that's what James says in the midst of the, This is how we stay cool when times are hot. I love that. Because a faith that can't be tested can't be. That's right. And can our faith be tested? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Because our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as we keep our eyes focused on him, we will be strong as a blacksmith's anvil. Our faith is tested, and Jesus can be trusted. You take it to heart, and I will too. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. Amen. Bishop, thank you.